Hello and welcome to All Things Plantagenet. My name is Donnie Hazel and I am your host. To all my original listeners, welcome back. To all my new listeners, welcome. If you enjoy the podcast and wish to support this show, you can help support it by clicking on the support link in the description of any episode. I have also created a website, www.allthingsplantagenet.com where you can find additional information and resources, as well as the episodes for this podcast. There is also a link on the website to the Facebook page for All Things Plantagenet. Okay, so now on to the show. Welcome to Leicester Cathedral on the historic day when King Richard III was laid to rest. Today is the moment when time collapsed and the medieval age burst through to the 21st century. Killed in battle and lost for 500 years, Richard's remains were discovered under a corporation car park just over the road behind me. On a summer's day in 2012, an anonymous car park in Leicester was about to yield its secret. A team from the University of Leicester had been spurred on by the Herculean efforts of Philippa Langley and members of the Richard III Society. The archaeologists started digging under a parking space marked with the letter R. It seemed utterly bonkers. Chances of finding Richard was a, a million to one. Then, in the very first trench, a skeleton. There's a really abnormal curvature of it. Against the odds, the team began to believe they might have done it. The feeling of that point was really one of mounting disbelief. Now the hard work began proving this was, in fact, Richard. There was one crucial test everyone was waiting for. DNA. Enter the king's closest known living relative, Michael Ibsen. If you look at the DNA of Michael and you look at the DNA from the skeletal remains, there's a match. Wow. The world's press descended. The individual exhumed at Greyfriars in September 2012 is indeed Richard III, the last Plantagenet King of England. Now, nearly three years later, the day dawned when Richard's remains would leave the University of Leicester, whose guardianship they had been under since they were exhumed, to begin their final journey. He travelled to the actual site where he died in battle, Fen Lane Farm. Our ex-marine, Arthur Williams, was there exclusively for us. The dawn vigil to mark the moment King Richard III drew his last breath at this exact spot. This might just be a beautiful green part of our landscape now, but when you think about the brutal and bloody battle that was once fought here and picture it soaked red with blood, it's hard not to be moved. And we know that Richard fought his final battle here because they found a little badge like this. It's the Bosworth boar. It was Richard's symbol and it was worn only by his closest knights. This was the last stand of the Plantagenet dynasty. Over the past few days, soil has been dug up from the three most significant locations in Richard's life. Fotheringhay, where he was born, Midland, where he was trained to be a warrior and leader, and right here where he was slain. Only those who have played an important part in Richard's story are here 
including Michael and Wendy, the last direct Plantagenet descendants, and Philippa Langley, who led the search for him. Many died on these fields. We acknowledge and remember their deaths. Here we recognise how close life and death sit. Now I invite Ross Clayton, the parish chairman of Fotheringay, to place soil from that village into the casket. The three soils will remain in the casket, made by Richard's 17th great-nephew, Michael, a casket that echoes Richard's coffin. In this most peaceful of places, let us remember all who fought, lived and died on these fields in 1485. Lord, in your mercy. The blessed soils will remain with Richard forever. They will be scattered into his grave when he is reburied. In contrast to the privacy of Fen Lane Farm, 2,000 people gathered at Bosworth Field to pay their respects to the fallen king. They were joined by His Royal Highness, the Duke of Gloucester, and by these men, part monk, part knight, mirroring perhaps the guard of honour when Richard reinterred his own father. Maybe that's an indication of what Richard might have wanted for himself. Echoing Richard's own time, his remains were pulled on a medieval cart a beer to the summit of Bosworth Battlefield, all 17 stone of it, by the local army cadet force. Grant King Richard III a place of rest and peace, where the world of dust and ashes has no dominion. Confirm in us our hope that he and we will be created anew on the day when you will raise us up in glory. The three soils were handed over for safekeeping. Let us pray for all those affected by the Battle of Bosworth and subsequent conflicts. For Richard, King of England, Lord have mercy. For all others killed in battle at Bosworth, each one remembered by and known to God, Lord have mercy. A beacon for King Richard was lit. The flame will burn until victory burial. From there, the procession made its way back into the city of Leicester over Bow Bridge, where it was greeted by thousands of onlookers before arriving at the cathedral where Richard's remains were officially handed over to the church. It is now my duty as the appointed representative of the University of Leicester to transfer into your custody Richard's remains so that they may be buried with honour and dignity. A service of Compline then took place where Cardinal Vincent Nichols, the Archbishop of Westminster, addressed the congregation. In his day, political power was invariably won or maintained on the battlefield. We may thank God that here political power struggles are now settled in a rather different manner. Ritter's coffin lay in repose for the next three days for the public to come and pay their respects. The response was extraordinary. 
It's so fantastic to see Cathedral Gardens absolutely chock-a-block, the queues all the way around the block, in fact, way beyond the block. It's lovely to see so many people wanting to come. Richard III, a long last, has been given the honour of being buried properly, and uh, it's a wonderful occasion. I never expected the crowds to be as great as this. I think it's wonderful, I think it's a great tribute to it. 3013. We are the Royal Army Medical Corps Association, and we're here today to do the honour guard for King Richard III. Very humbling and very solemn. It's wonderful. It's a once-in-a-lifetime occasion. I never thought I would live to see that. Four thousand nine hundred and eighty-four. Monday it was six thousand, just under, and Tuesday nine thousand. So we're over twenty thousand. With me, Dr. Helen Caster, medieval historian, and Dr. Richard Buckley. He led the archaeological dig in the car park, accompanied Richard's remains to the cathedral last Sunday. Richard Buckley, we caught you saying one in a million chance of finding Richard once you started the dig. What went wrong? <laughs> You're a scientist. <laughs> yes, I mean, we, we, we were only able to examine about 1% of the whole precinct, which is a tiny, tiny proportion. There, were, there was no trace of any of the friary buildings above ground. We didn't know where any of them were. And so we then did initially two trenches, and amazingly, those two trenches highlighted the position of the chapter house and the cloister walk. Plus, in the first six hours, two human leg bones came up, which ultimately then turned out to be Richard III's. Richard III, Helen, the most controversial monarch of all time. I mean, what do we make of him? Who is he? Well, Richard was a man whose life was shaped and scarred by war. The Civil War we know as the Wars of the Roses, which began when his father, the Duke of York, challenged the regime of the Lancastrian King Henry VI. Richard was only eight when his father was defeated and beheaded, and he had to flee into exile. And then just three months later, his brother won a great victory to take the throne as Edward IV. So Richard became Duke of Gloucester. But then at 17, the wars began again, and he had to fight to help his brother keep the throne. Ten years after that, his brother died, leaving the crown to his young son, one of the boys we know as the princes in the tower. And it was then that Richard made the fateful decision to take the crown for himself. Thank you, Helen. Now, an incredible morning in the cathedral. And earlier, I was fortunate enough to catch up with King Richard's descendants. Where it all began? Fotheringay. The place of Richard's birth and the seat of the Plantagenet dynasty for almost 200 years. The family's castle is long gone, but the church remains, and it's here that Richard's mother, father and brother are buried. I'm meeting the only two direct female line descendants of Richard III to have been found. Here, where their ancestor's story began. It's just about discovering more and more about our family, and the line goes back a long way, but it makes it all the more real, just being here, really, yeah. Well, do you feel a connection? Got shivers running up and down my spine, to be honest, yeah. Did you have any sort of clue before? No. Not at all. Nothing? Nothing at all. It was completely out of the blue. Do you Amazing. count him as family now? Of course. Do you count her as family? Yes, well, I think one of the more extraordinary things about all this is you think two people randomly who've never met before, what are the chances mm. that they'll get on? We actually got on from day one, so you do wonder if there's a bit of family, DNA, whatever in there. And I'm just wondering if, if you're sitting there and somebody starts saying, you know, well, he wasn't much of a king, was he? whether you feel rather affronted? I think I do now. I don't 
like watching the portrayal of Richard in, in Shakespeare's productions. I feel that's quite insulting. I guess I feel a bit protective of him. It probably sounds rather strange, but I do. Thank you both very warmly. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm joined now by historian Dr John, John Ashdown-Hill, whose painstaking research traced Michael, and Philippa Langley, who pulled off an impossible dream and found Richard. You drove this. You were the person who said, I've got to find him. You found him. So is your job done? Is that it at the end? I think it's a huge box ticked, but, you know, we remember... <laughs> a huge box ticked. It is. Now, John, you're going to spend a moment at the graveside and you'll have a moment's contemplation. What will be in your mind? Well, Richard had some prayers that he wanted said. He wrote down what he wanted said. Um, prayers for himself, but also for his wife and for his son. And so I want to say those prayers in Latin as he, as he wrote them down. The Archbishop of Canterbury, who's going to be saying prayers as King Richard is lowered into his grave. Christian Guru Murthy is live with the Archbishop Krishnan. As a very modern Archbishop, how does it feel to be burying a medieval king? Uh, entirely unexpected, I think. Um, slightly surreal. Um, most extraordinary experience. You've brought with you the most amazing book. Now, mm. this is Richard's prayer book. Yes. This is a book of the hours that was probably... Um, done, made in the early 15th century, before Richard, but which became his prayer book, and we think was found in his tent after the Battle of Bosworth, and ended up in the Lambeth Palace Library. Absolutely extraordinary, the colour. The colour is extraordinary. You've got Gabriel speaking to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, and it, it really is very beautiful. He will have used this book. Um, the wealthy would have had a book like this for their daily prayers. You're holding what he held and pray prayed with. I am. What does that feel like? Um, slightly risky. I'm just very edgy about dropping it. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the service, because th this service really picks up the theme of reburial. It's a very remarkable service that's been beautifully put together by the people here at Leicester, at the cathedral. Uh, but it was also a service that Richard himself would have been quite familiar with. Lots of kings and aristocrats of his time uh, were reburied some years after their initial burial. Like most medieval people, Richard worried about his afterlife. He was taught that when he died, his soul would pass through a stage called purgatory, where his sins would be cleansed before entering heaven. Hidden away in the British Library, Dr. Alexandra Buckle has been exploring Richard's concerns about purgatory. Here we've got a document actually proving some of the provision Richard III was making for after he died. There were ways of passing through purgatory speedily, especially if you had the cash. What you find with the super wealthy is they will pay for as many priests and as many masses as possible to quicken their soul's progress through purgatory. This page here actually shows Richard was asking for a hundred priests to sing there in the worship of God Our Lady, St George and St Ninian. So this is an example of Richard III ploughing as much money as possible into provision for his soul after he had died. While Richard left instructions for his soul, he didn't leave any for a reinterment service that would take place 500 years later. But by complete coincidence, Two months before Richard's remains were discovered, Alexandra found a unique document that would provide some answers. I've been looking for several months for something 
detailing what a medieval reburial ceremony involved. I stumbled on this. It was in Latin. I knew it was going to take some decoding. It was an account of the reburial service of Richard's wife's grandfather. Richard may well have been there. I think I really realised the importance of it when I read about the discovery of Richard III in that famous car park. And it suddenly struck me that I had a blueprint, um, a key as to how to rebury a medieval king. Alexandra alerted Leicester Cathedral to her find and joined their group of scholars. You stress the significance of the roses. They've used the document to create a service fit for a medieval king. I think the overriding concern from the team in Leicester has been to rebury Richard this time with dignity and honour. Experts have sweated over creating this reburial service. Have they got it right? It was a moment when the nation watched England's last medieval king laid to rest in the beginning of the 21st century. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
The Lord be with you. So Joseph made the Israelites swear, saying, When God comes to you, you shall carry up my bones from here. As Dean of Leicester, I welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, who for his people died and rose in the conquest of love. More than 500 years ago, King Richard III was buried by Franciscan friars a few yards from here. His grave hurriedly dug, and a simple funeral without pomp would have been offered. Today, we are committing his mortal remains to the consecrated ground of this cathedral. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. The reading is taken from the book of Exodus. And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely take notice of you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. They set out from Succoth and camped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day, and to lead them along the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Here ends the reading.
Search, find, honour. The triple mandate giving, given to the Looking for Richard project four years ago has broken open not just a car park but a nation's story. King Richard has stepped from the pages of history into the fullest glare of the world's attention. The search has laid to rest half a millennium of mystery surrounding his burial and revealed that Richard belongs not just to the archaeologists, the chroniclers and the curators, but to all of us. The crowds who have lined the processional route were captivated by an astonishing discovery, a brilliant forensic investigation and an intense public drama. They have come here in their tens of thousands from around the world to this ancient place of prayer, not to judge, condemn or praise, but to stand in silent, humble and reverent attentiveness at the meeting place of time and eternity. From car park to cathedral, the story has challenged the inventiveness of the world's headline writers, reporters and storytellers. Whether we are Ricardians or Shakespeareans, whether we interpret this through the eyes of Olivier, McCullen, Lindsay or Cumberbatch, whether we recognise a warrior king or a scholarly pious thinker, Today we come to accord this King, this child of God, and these mortal remains, the dignity and honour denied them in death. The Richard Effect has revealed a deep connection between a global audience and this young King who bore his disability with courage and knew the pain of bereavement and loss close to his heart. Many amongst the crowds who have thronged to see the casket came bearing their own burdens of grief. Others came to contemplate the reality of their own mortality. All have confounded the sceptics by their respect for the remains of an anointed king and a baptised Christian whose lot it was to live and die at a turning point of our history. We dare to pray for Richard today and for all who have gone before us in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life, because in God alone we trust. To him be the power and the glory for all time and for all eternity. Amen.
Almighty and eternal God, creator and redeemer of souls, who by the prophecy of Ezekiel deigned to bind together dry bones with sinews, to cover them with skin and flesh and to put into them the breath of life. As we return the bones of your servant Richard to the grave, we beseech you to grant him a peaceful and quiet resting place. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We have entrusted our brother Richard to God's mercy, and we now commit his human remains to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our frail bodies, that they may be conformed to his glorious body, who died, was buried, and rose again for us, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. From the earth you formed me, with flesh you clothed me. Lord, my Redeemer, raise me up at the last day.
my bones scripted in light upon cold soil, a human braille, my skull scarred by a crown, emptied of history. Describe my soul as incense, votive, vanishing, your own the same. Grant me the carving of my name. These relics bless. Imagine you retie a broken string and on it thread a cross, the symbol severed from me when I died. The end of time. The unknown, unfelt loss. Unless the resurrection of the dead. Or oh, I once dreamed of this. Your future breath in prayer for me, lost long, forever found, or sensed you from the backstage of my death, as kings glimpse shadows on a battleground. The Lord be with you. God grant to the living grace, to the departed rest, to the Church, the Queen, the Commonwealth, and to all humanity, peace and concord, and to us and all his servants, life everlasting, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us bless the Lord.
A remarkable service with no precedent, the burial of a medieval king from half a millennium ago here in the 21st century. Now there's one last great task, and that is to lift the great gravestone which will lie on top of the tomb off this truck. They're using 21st century technology to lift what is a very heavy North Yorkshire piece of rock, Swaledale fossil stone, and get it to the position where it will have to then cover the tomb. Josh, you're the architect, the designer of the, of the stone. Uh, what was in your mind? We wanted to just make something that felt fitting to his stature, but without trying to make a judgment about what sort of person he was. So there's a mixture of the general Christian symbols and then the information about him that just tells you that it's his resting place. Now, we have a picture of it actually being made, and, of mm. course, you need that liquid to keep it cool. This is extraordinary. It's, it's made of lots of little fossils, this rock, isn't it? Yeah, rock. This rock is, is sort of fossil soup solidified, really, and it's, it's lots and lots of little crinoid fossils. That is Richard's tomb. David, how did you choose the design? Because a lot of people competed. Um, well, we've been working with Josh in, uh, for a while and we, we knew he had the capacity to turn our theological and historical ideas into something very, very practical. And uh, given the timescales, both huge design ideas and practicality really mattered. Mm. And I think we wanted something that would speak in the longer term, the sense of a new space being created and even space in the tomb, which opens up new vistas to us. It's extraordinary because what has happened to your cathedral is something you can never reverse. It is changed for all time. It is now the resting place of a king. Absolutely. I mean, the, the day job of the cathedral <laughs> continues, but of course people will be drawn here for Richard's story. And, uh, but what we know at cathedrals is that often people are drawn for historical or, or, or other reasons, but they are often then caught up into the wider life of the cathedral and the life of the pilgrim, I suppose. Here you're dealing, in a sense, with a Victorian building with some medieval bits in it. Um, are you very worried now about this rather delicate process that's going on inside it? Of laying I'm, the, I'm not the particularly relaxed about it. I have great faith in James Elliot and his team. I, I'm certainly Swift not relaxed about it. I'm not <laughs> at all relaxed about it. I'll be much more relaxed when it's there. And but in you've got a lot of guys in there. There are a lot of people in there. Yeah, oh. it's a very heavy lift. I don't know it's how heavy it is. about three and a half tons. Three and a half tons. One of the joys of this whole experience has been discovering these craftspeople who combine the ancient skill with modern technology. That speaks for the whole day. A medieval king laid to rest in the 21st century. We can share a minute's silence with these people who made it all happen as they bid their final farewell to the last Plantagenet king before his tomb is sealed forever. Philippa Langley, the woman who relentlessly led the search for Richard. John Ashdown Hill, who traced back the family tree. Michael Ibsen and Wendy Duldig, the descendants of the medieval king. And Dean David Monteith, in whose cathedral King Richard III will now lie. We now begin a minute's silence. Now they take their leave from Richard's graveside 
quiet surroundings of Leicester Cathedral. Good night. My bones, scripted in light upon cold soil, a human braille. My skull, scarred by a crown, emptied of history. Describe my soul as incense, votive, vanishing. Your own the same. Grant me the carving of my name. I once dreamed of this. Your future breath in prayer for me. Lost long, forever found. Or sensed you from the backstage of my death. As kings glimpse shadows on a battleground. Thank you for listening to this episode of All Things Plantagenet. Remember, we also have a website, www.allthingsplantagenet.com, where you can find additional information and resources, as well as the other episodes. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.